today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. We have your 2020 NTT IndyCar Series season preview. I'm adding a note ahead of the actual intro that we did when this was recorded on March 11th with Lee Diffie, lead commentator for NBC Sports IndyCar's content. This was done with the full expectation that the season would begin as intended at St. Pete and continue moving forward. This conversation, a little bit more than an hour and a half, runs through every team and a variety of insights, many of them pretty darn awesome from our pal, Mr. Diffie. This is all pre-coronavirus, and I figured rather than go through and do a lot of edits and or re-record it, figured, you know, might just be interesting to hear insights on the season as we expected it to happen the insights still apply, just knowing that indeed we are kicking off the year Saturday night in Texas with a Genesis 300. So let's get going with the original intro and start to the conversation with our man, Mr. Diffie, here looking at the upcoming, now abbreviated, NTT IndyCar Series season. Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers. TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and the finest, somewhat new American citizen with an exquisite Australian accent. Is this Lee Diffie? Is this my brother, Lee Diffie, on the other end of the phone? What are you talking about, a new American? I've been a proud American for nine years, Marshall Pruitt. Well, I'm older than you so therefore it feels a little bit new uh well, that could that could be representative of our, us going up the scale in years on the planet so yes in in uh, in relative terms that is quite new so i stand corrected but see that is something <laughs> that i do appreciate the fact that you proud son of australia but you have indeed made your home made a family made all kinds of great things here in the states and Becoming an American citizen is something that meant a lot to you. Thanks for finding some time for us, brother, to help preview the 2020 IndyCar season. Where do you think we should start? Do you think we should start going team by team? And do you think we should mention someone's name? Go alphabetically. All right. Well, let's mention one name up front, just as a bit of a thank you to one of our listeners, that being Brandon LaPayne gentleman who serves his country serves his country just got home from a tour let's just say not in the usa a tour abroad and just want to say thanks brandon for not only listening not only protecting us and serving our country but also granted we'll we'll overlook this having a little bit of questionable taste when you mentioned recently the lee diffie episodes your favorite so All kidding aside, Lee, it's good to know that we certainly have someone here who's going to be looking forward to your thoughts on the upcoming season, starting with AJ Foy Racing. What comes to mind with this vast overhaul and the, what I would say, similar level of potential contained within this team? I think, um, well, your words were, what's the first thing that comes to mind? So it's a little bit of a... As you know, kind of uh, down the Ed Carpenter Racing Road, a little bit of a patchwork quilt with drivers coming and going and doing different things and fulfilling different roles. Um, and 
I think from that patchwork quilt approach of drivers, I think that, and I had this discussion uh, with Scott Harna from the team recently, that if they can get, I think, a handful of good results um, this year, I think that will be a major victory and a step in the right direction because the team, you, me, whomever else is talking about it, has been, you know, this team has to turn the corner. It's got to find success and it's got to do well, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, I think that this year could be. Um, I think Bourdais, Sebastian Bourdais is going to um, inject a little life into the team for the races that he is at starting this weekend at St. Petersburg. I think Charlie Kimball, um, you know, Charlie is really good at, at the Indy 500. Charlie's a very safe pair of hands. He's very intelligent, gives good feedback. And then Tony Kanaan's going to be in the car when, you know, it's going to be good for Tony. And, and I think he's going to try and go out with a, with a last hurrah. So, uh, you know, there, there's some good people in that team and they are tired of, you know, being where they're at. And so I, you know, that's the diplomatic way to put it. And I just, I feel a sense of, of um, uh, optimism for them. And I, I, I'm hopeful for them. You know, they, they, they deserve better and, and, and everybody associated with it wants the good results. So um, whether it's foolish or not, I'm, I'm feeling some optimism for the organization this year. I think that is rightfully placed as well. And one of the things I'd love to get some thoughts on about Foyt in this year. So we know, Lee, that unfortunately after, what, 15 years of amazing support from ABC Supply, they announced they're moving on the end of 2019. So funding for this program being a, as you mentioned, patchwork, bit of a patchwork effort to get the two cars back on the grid. We have four drivers spread across those two cars, three in the number 14 alone. Charlie Kimball is someone who I think could be valuable to this team in more ways than just what he can do on the track. Knowing that Charlie's business acumen, his not, his ability just alone to bring sponsors, but the way that Charlie works in a B2B mindset, going out and seeking new companies, giving them reward where they want to come back year after year. The Foyt team, Lee, strikes me as a program that might benefit from Charlie's, I would say, off-track skills to help them since they're in a place where they're going to have to start fortifying this and finding some new partners to bring in hopefully in the years ahead. Do you think that's an area where uh, Charlie could actually be of equal, if not greater benefit than just what he can do on the track? Yeah, for sure. For sure. He's a terrific operator off the track. Look what it, look at what he did um, uh, last year uh, with Carlin where he, you know, he was, he was in for a, a, um, a portion of the season, but was at, I want to say, I thought I saw him at just about every race. I think he was at every race. Um, doing what he could to support the team uh, outside the car and the drivers, and, and just doing whatever he could. Um, I think he, he'll be a, he'll be a great resource for Dalton Kellett as well, um, for Dalton to come in after doing what he's done in Indy Lights, but also he's done you know some IMSA WeatherTech racing and prototypes. So I think with that extra experience, uh, I, I don't know what he's capable of. We, we will see, but I think it's a really interesting mix. Um, I think it, at times it might be tough to juggle, but as I said before, I'm, I'm, um, I, I wish, I, I wish 
them all the best, and I, 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 I'm quite hopeful for some optimistic results. One quick thing to close here on Floyd before we move to Andretti Autosport. This strange schedule. I was trying to come up with a word that strange, I guess, works, but the strange schedule for the French Fried of My Hamburger, Sebastian Bourdais, where he's going to do the first three races and then go away for the next 12 <laughs> and then come back for the penultimate round at Portland. It's one of the more oddly articulated calendars for a driver. He's only doing four, but I do know there's a goal to not just obviously fortify the team during those four races, provide some good chassis feedback that Dalton Kellett can use on the remaining road and street courses where he's not in the car. But I know there's a, there's an aspiration that if things go well with Seb as a personality, as a fit with the team, as a guy delivering results on the track, that he might get the call to come back in 2021 on a full-time basis. What would you think of that? What would you think of Sebastian Bourdais, twilight of his IndyCar career, I guess much like Tony Kanaan, potentially being in in their minds at the team to be next year's full-term solution? I, I wouldn't. A, I wouldn't be surprised, and B, um, I'd say go for it because... Um, you know, for a long time now, Sebastian has shown us just what he's capable of. And I love the fact, um, I mean, I, I, I find him fascinating because just when you think that he's down in the mouth and he's not happy with the car and it seems like, you know, he's being so demanding of everybody around him and it's, it's the glass is half empty, next minute he's like, bang, <laughs> and he's on the front row. Or bang, he's on the podium. Or I mean, I think the the the, the moniker with him is that never discount um, Sebastian Bourdais from his. And and all you have to do is just remind yourself at his incredible career. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all. We have to remind ourselves. Look at how well Sato's driving. What's Sato? Forty two, forty three. Yeah, I know. The ageless I mean, wonder. Sato had one of his best years last year. I love it. I really do. Uh, Takuma's become one of my favorite drivers. The longer he drives, the more I love the guy because he just gives us reasons to love him more yeah. and more. Let's yeah. let's look at a. Is it even possible to expand? Even you know their waste is getting. Boy, I don't know if there's any expansion left at Andretti Autosport bringing on a fifth full-time entry, IndyCar's largest volume entrant. Zach Veach, Alexander Rossi, Ryan Hunter Ray, Colton Herta, Marco Andretti, and they're adding a certain mayor of Hinchtown, who's your new NBC Sports colleague, James Hinchcliffe, uh, here in May. Where should we start at Andretti? Do we start at the Zach and Marcos who maybe need to show us a little something this year, or do we start with Alexander Rossi, who has been close but not close enough in that championship hunt. And why is that? And how does that get overcome? What do you think? Let's, let's start with Alexander Rossi, because that's one of my biggest um, points of interest. He's one of my biggest points of interest and one of my biggest questions this year, because you, um, you, you have to ask and you have to wonder um, how long can a driver, um, you know, be that close to being a champion and still have that desire. Well, 
I mean, Rossi's answered that um, already uh, prior to this season, and that you know he has this. He just seems to have this this depth in the tank of desire that that is bottomless. I mean, he's such a driven guy. But uh, you know, I was just working on MotoGP last weekend, and and Ben Bostrom and I were, were chewing over this in the in the in the Premier class with Ducati's Andrea Divizioso. You know, he's finished second three times in a row. You know, he, he was a world champion in, in 125s back in the day, but now, you know, he's had this unbelievable career in MotoGP. But the last three years in succession, you know, he's had to watch the world championship slip away. And I just think, you know, I, I think almost in the sense, I, I, I think of Rossi and Will Power, two completely different people and, and drivers. But if you think about, you know, Will won the championship but it was just gnawing at him that he'd never won the 500. And he just said, told you, he told me, he told everyone, I just cannot finish my career without winning the Indy 500. I just can't. And I just think that if Alexander Rossi can win the championship this year, then, so the boxes are checked, then I think you can almost imagine or, or view Alexander Rossi growing into an even bigger and more dominant figure. Um, so to me, that's a really significant point of interest is where's he going to be season got off to a, a, a decent start last year, but he had to wait for a podium. Um, actually, I think from memory, what was last year? Let me, let me have a look uh, at some he, first podium and yeah, it was, was like, a win at Long Beach. Paul was a win well. at Long Beach. Yeah. And for him, for him, it was kind of like, uh, what was it? It was, it was win or bust. He had, uh, and anyway, he had the two wins. He had five podiums. But I mean, it took it took a little while to get there, right? So um, I don't know. I'm going to be watching with maybe more interest than ever Alexander Rossi this year. I would say there's no doubt that he has the talent from a performance standpoint, plus the mental fortitude to be a champion now and every year going forward. I, I cannot envision a time where we aren't talking about Rossi as one of the top three title contenders. The thing that strikes me as a great potential influence on his performance is a kid by the name of Colton Herta finished <clears throat> seventh in the championship last year, had as many wins as Rossi. They both had two wins. Uh, that Herta kid had didn't have nearly as many podiums, though, made some rookie mistakes. But if you look at the potential for being pushed and really pushed, if not maybe overtaken, as the uh, the top contender at Andretti with Rossi as he's been. Where do you think a young buck, precocious kid, right? Second year, he doesn't know any better than just beating up on everything in front of him. How do you think a Colton Herta might influence or possibly even help Rossi? Through We know the kid's really good at chassis setup. Where do you think this new influence closer directly to home might help or hinder Rossi? Um, well, I think, I think guys, guys like Rossi thrive on the competition. I don't think it's going to hinder him. Um, to be frank, I think he'll thrive on that. But Colton Herter's figures were staggering last year. Two wins, no other podiums, but six DNFs, twice as many as Scott Dixon and Will Power, who he finished behind in the championship. Six DNFs, including the 500, a double points race. Like, I mean, that, that to me is, that's, that's where the story's at. 
you give him those races back, look out. So, and, and as you know, better than anybody, all of the commercial uncertainty that was swirling around um, uh, Harding-Steinbrenner racing, you know, those guys worked their tails off to, to make sure that there was at least some money coming in. And then, and then just when they thought there was some that, you know, there was, that got pulled from under them and, you know, all of that swirling, you know, behind the garage and what we don't, don't get to see. And yet out comes this teenager and, and creates history and, you know, bookends the season with some wins and, and then, but has to endure 16 Fs and is still in the top 10 in the championship. I mean, I think that's, that's remarkable. And he finished last year, Lee, ahead of Ryan Hunter Ray. Right, one of the perennial team leaders at Andretti Autosport. Uh, Ryan, unfortunately, no stranger to the cartoon anvil, as I like to refer to it, thanks to my Wiley Coyote um, Roadrunner cartoon days. Ryan Hunter Ray, as well, past champion, past Indy 500 winner, finished eighth in the championship last year, did find the podium a couple times, but did not win. He as well strikes me as someone that, at least within the team, a bit of a rebound year would certainly seem like a something on the cards for him. Never a doubt that Captain America is ready to win races and vie for a title. Sometimes, though, it seems like good fortune doesn't smile on him when it should. Where do you think Ryan's effectiveness, potential, where do you think he might fit into this championship matrix for Andretti Autosport? Well, just, um, you know, as I do for each and every every round of the series, I always go back and watch the previous year's race just as a good memory refresher and to see him DNF at St. Pete last year. And the words of my old Formula One colleague, David Hobbs, came into my mind. And, and he, used to, he usually used to use this phrase uh, for Mark Webber, and he would say, if this guy didn't have have bad luck, he wouldn't have any luck at all. And, uh, I mean, I just I feel that way for Ryan. I mean, it's just he has been, I think he's had more, way more than his fair share of misfortune and mechanicals. And so if that can, you know, if, if, if some positive light can shine on, on RHR this year, I mean, he's as good as anybody out there. So, um, you know, there's been some question marks about and people talking about you know, how, how much longer will he go? Um, could this potentially be one of his last seasons? But when he's on, he's on. I mean, he can drive as good as anybody out there. So you don't win a championship in the Indy 500 uh, for nothing. And so I'm a big believer in his. And I, I think I think he can, like you said, hit a reset or a rebound. I, I think Ryan can have a very good year if, if just those little gremlins go away from him, you know. Sometimes he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes it's a mechanical. Sometimes he's, you know... I, I just think if if um, if if it swings the right way for him this year, he can he can be right there. Let's look at the rest of the roster here at Andretti Autosport, Lee. So we have who I believe are going to be the two strongest entries for them in this championship frame between Rossi and Herta. We have Hunter Ray, who should be the third pillar in that. Lord, again, we will be crossing fingers, saying prayers, uh, pouring buckets of holy water on ourselves and him in the hope that the cartoon anvil stays away. It should be the three of those uh, guys absolutely mounting 
a very impressive championship effort. We have a bit of a different view possibly on the other two members of the full-time effort. That being Zach Veach, a, I would say, surprisingly impressive rookie year in 2018, forgettable 2019. And Marco Andretti has had a couple of forgettable years, to be honest, if not a largely forgettable past decade. These are two gents, I would say, who need a very positive outcome this season. What are your feelings, Lee, on whether there is a reason for Marco and Zach to believe that 2020 will be different than 2019? So Zach, Zach Veach um, showed us two seasons ago what he can do, and I thought it was fantastic with you know his first full season with Andretti Autosport in IndyCar last year. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love talking with Zach and I love listening to him in interviews and I love, he's, he's such an articulate, smart, sharp young man and really aware of everything that's going on last year. And, and, you know, this could be totally wrong, but I know that my booth colleagues, Townsend Bell and Paul Tracy shared this opinion as well, that it just kind of looked like he was overdriving a little bit last year, like trying too hard to make it happen desperate to, to get that good result and show that he could back up uh, 2018. So maybe if this year he's just a little more comfortable in his own skin and, and, and has that confidence just to go out there and do what he did in that, in that first full year. Um, I, I hope so because he's, he's such a great young American talent. The series doesn't need Marco Andretti to, to fire and to achieve to do well because the series is already doing well on its own. But can you imagine if Marco was at the front? I just think it would be such a boost for the championship. It would be such a um, such a great headline to read. You know, Andretti wins again, or Andretti wins for the first time since. You know, and I just think it would be the feel good factor would be phenomenal. And so, I'm one of the ones who wants that to happen. You know, um, uh, you know, I think there there are there are um, there's a percentage of the fan base and, and viewership that says, you know, uh, you know, they write Marco off before he's before the green flag's even dropped. Um, I'm one of the ones who wants him to be at the front and wants that, you know, just because I love the history of IndyCar, and and I was a massive fan of his father's. You know, um, I, I just when I first came to America and, and Michael was still driving, my, Michael used to electrify me, you know, as a commentator, just those outside maneuvers and what he could pull off, and even before I started commentating IndyCar. And so I just, I, I, I wish that, I hope that for, for Marco that it can come together. Does the series need it? No. But if he did it, would it be a huge boost? Absolutely, yes. Be interesting to see how Zach Veach's mental reboot plays out. He knows that he overdrove, that he pushed too hard last year. Wasn't in his, wasn't in an area where you can flow. And as someone, Lee, who I know I jokingly said 8 million uh, forms of sport you cover, what, you've covered seven so far in the last 10 weeks or something like that, you know whether it is uh, athletic competition through the Olympics, MotoGP, sports cars, IndyCar, an athlete, a driver in particular, has to have that flow, that natural flow with their hands and their feet. It has to be easy to produce that speed and when you're pushing 
and you're you're missing your proverbial shot over and over again, things can spiral. So I think that's the recognition by Zach that he did get out of his right headspace. Very important. He's also really fond of his new race engineer, who he started working with the last couple of races last year, a young Kiwi by the name of Mark Bryant, who came over from the Australian Supercar Series. So I think there's some good stuff there. Marco, similarly, realizing that his best championship performance throughout his entire career was after going to Rob uh, Rob Wilson's driving yeah, school in the UK. Driving school, yeah. He said he's, you know, that is something he realized he needed to get back to. So these are two, the two members of Andretti Autosport that need to have transformational years. I'm heartened by the fact not only did they recognize it, they have taken action to try and improve their odds. Speaking of odds, Aero McLaren SP, which in an informal thing that we do on the show, thanks to our listener, Jim Johnstone, who coined the acronym, we refer to them as SPAM. SPAM! Uh, the AMSP team, Lee. Where do they fall for you in terms of realistic expectations for being in the center of a really strong effort this year, knowing completely new driver roster, completely new engine supplier. You have tons of new personnel that have come in. You've got a Formula One team that is now partnered with them and people to onboard. Lots of different ideas, management layers, engineering layers. On the surface, we might say, boy, they're going to be the heck with the big three. It's gone. It's now the big four. They've joined Penske, Andretti, and Ganassi. That might be, to use uh, what we mentioned with Zach Veach, we might be uh, pushing a little too much. Are we overdriving, suggesting that in year one, this new blended house of Aero McLaren SP can be that imposing? Yeah, I think I think it'll take a, I think it'll take a settle in period. Um, I really do. Um, I think um, I think there's a number of things on the. From 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 just from the organisational standpoint, you know, you've got if we were just if we were just carrying on with Schmidt Peterson and there had not been any major personnel changes or something, you might say, oh, okay, I'm not sure. But now there's you know there's another cook in the kitchen, and I think everybody's kind of finding finding out their roles and, and where they belong and what to do and how we mix in. And um, it's phenomenal that the McLaren name uh, is back in IndyCar on a full time basis. But I think, I think, yeah, I think it probably the best way to put it is there'll be a settling period. Um, uh, we have already been massively impressed by Pato Award, but Pato himself needs a settling period because he's never been allowed that. Mm. Last year, he last year he was being smacked around like a ping pong ball. You know, uh, you're going to do IndyCar. No, you're not. Red Bull's interested in you. You're going to get do FP1 sessions for Scuderia Toro Rosso. No, you're not. You're going, to, you're going off to Japan. No, you're not. You're coming here. Like, it's, it was just, you know, the poor kid didn't know where he was going from one week to the next. So, you know, for him to just say, I'm with a team. I know where I'm living. I've got a car. I've got an apartment. I've got, <laughs> I know where I'm going to be for the next 12 months. And, uh, and, and just calm down and focus on the job at hand is going to mean so much. And for Oliver Askew, who um, is, has this very calm, measured demeanour, um, you know, young American uh, guy who just seems to be uh, take it one step at a time, I think he's going to uh, um, uh, surprise a few people. I think he's going to do a nice job. Um, 
but for both of them, I'm not I'm not putting uh, you know Pato Pato wowed us at Sonoma in that one-off drive at the end of the season two years ago, and then and then he was like Mister Excitement at uh, Circuit of the Coda. Americas yeah. last year. I mean, it was incredible. But for both of them, for Pato and for Oliver, I'm not I'm not putting you know I'm not expecting. Um, Anything, I, and I mean that in a positive way. Like I'm not, I'm, I don't, I wouldn't even know to. to I'm not even saying where to, to guess they'll finish. I'm not. I'm just saying this will be a settling year. Let it, let it be what it is. Um, it's awesome where it's at, but I don't think. I think it would be unrealistic to put lofty expectations just straight away, and that might not, you know, um, that might not be what the team's thinking. Uh, of course not, because every team goes out there to win. But I just think we've got to cut them some slack. There's been a lot of changes, and, and they've got two young drivers coming in. They're going to find their feet. Obviously, Pato's a little further ahead than Oliver as far as his experience in an IndyCar. What did he do, Seven, six or seven races or something last year? So, you know, I, I just think cut them a bit of slack, give them a settling year. But 2021, yes, then it's time to deliver. Pato reminds me, and this could be a a bizarre parallel, Pato reminds me a lot of Austin Sindrick in his career. Austin's dad, Tim, really did not want him to get comfortable in any one series, so he would have him in tin tops in what we call the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series today, or USF 2000, or a big GT car. It might be a little bit of NASCAR. could be... A wide variety of things, but he wanted to have him moving across a lot of different forms of racing, build a versatility, but there was also maybe a little bit of a negative to that because, as you mentioned with Pato, he hasn't had that settling in period to say, okay, I know where I'm driving all year. I know my name will be on the same car with the same people, same engineer, same mechanic, same everything. He has had a lot of movement in a short amount of time like Austin. But as we've seen with Austin, boy, get him stuck into a consistent year or two or three and so on. This kid's talent is shining. I think we're going to go in to see something similar with Pato this year. He can breathe. He knows he's safe. He can go and deliver, not have to worry about changes being thrown at him constantly. Looking at Oliver, does he remind you at all of, I mean, they're both tall, but does he remind you at all? demeanor-wise, a bit of Alexander Rossi, that kind of steely-eyed, not a lot of words, burns really bright inside from from a competitive standpoint. Do you see any parallels there in the young lad? Yeah, he's kind of that, he's kind of that, um, uh, he's kind of that sneaky quiet, you know, just that um, watch out, I'll get you type, type character. And, um, you know, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I do a decent job keeping up with it. He's one of Jeremy Shaw scholarship Team USA, USA graduates. Right? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, Jeremy was my first commentary partner here in the United States back in 2002 in CART. And, you know, the one thing I learned from, you know, Jeremy's been a dear friend of mine ever since then, but the one thing I learned about hanging around Jeremy for a whole year and, and then, you know, really learning a lot about the scholarship USA program is Jeremy doesn't, it's very rare where Jeremy has not made a great choice for the two kids who, who are the, the winners of the Scholarship USA program. And um, the majority of the people who have been involved have gone on to amazing careers. 
so I just I, I just keep that one in my back pocket and just say, you know, this this kid's no this kid's no joke. He's an Indy Lights champion. Um, I, I think that's just a great selling point too. In that team, you've got the the last two, you know, Indy Lights champions. I do uh, without deflecting from Oliver and just going back to a point on Pato. I I kind of feel for him in a way in that you know he came out of came out of lights as the champion and Colton Herter was the runner up and they had they had they had a phenomenal battle that season two years ago, but when you look at them now because of that ping ponging around uh, and Colton's stability and and being in the same spot for the whole season going into 2020, Colton's way ahead of Pato as far as familiarity. The tracks, the cars, the procedure, the, the 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 weekend in, weekend out, and even though Pato did, you know, um, those races that he did last year, it's not the same as a full season. So there there are no more black holes for Colton, where there are still some for Pato. Like, okay, I've got to get through a full IndyCar season, where Colton's already done that, and I think that's a massive advantage, just straight up there. Two other items to close on Aero McLaren SP Lee. As I wrote in a piece that actually went up today about the team and their the heavy structural changes to the team, I would rate the acquisition of four-time Champ Car champion race engineer Craig Hampson as among the greatest signings heading into 2020. And I'm not talking among race engineers. I mean, and apologies to some drivers, but... That guy, in terms of an ability to transform an organization, it's not going to happen overnight. He didn't have a full off season to lend his ideas and start R&D paths that are going to pay off here at St. Pete. But where do you place Craig Hampson's ability to turn a quality engineering program into a stellar engineering program and therefore probably deliver on that 2021 promise you're expecting from them massive massive simple as that he is um he's he's incredible at what he does uh he doesn't mince his words he is uh he expects and demands a lot and um i i just yeah massive massive fan of the guy and have been since since way back in the cart days so um brings an immense um amount of experience with him and it just he just he, he knows where he wants to go he knows where he wants the driver to go he knows where he wants the car to go and um just uh having had the fortune to sit on a team radio and listen to him you know go back and forth with seb uh, with sebastian bourdais uh was fantastic and uh, you know good guy out of the car typical engineer pretty dry right He's not, he's not a big character, but he is big on what he does. And, um, I mean, he's become one of the most, and again, in no disrespect to the other engineers in the paddock, he's become one of the most valuable resources in the paddock. Instant Hall of Famer. Him? No, I mean, it, we, yeah. we think of the George Bignatis and so many others who are, you know, the famous crew chief types who have been celebrated for decades. You know, this guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer as well for his achievements, and he's not even done yet. And there are others in the paddock, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's that grade of talent being brought to uh, the part of the program that makes the Patos and Oliver go quickly. 
Let's close with the last item that uh, that stands out with this team. So Taylor Kyle promoted to managing director, done, I would say, a phenomenal job of bringing these two houses together between Schmidt, Peterson, and McLaren. Part of that fun, McLaren Racing Sporting Director, Indy 500 winner, former IndyCar team owner, Gilles DeFerrin. We get good old, that, that block-headed, Paris-born, Brazil-bred guy back into the paddock, helping to work with Taylor and McLaren to shape this IndyCar program as well. What kind of impact you think Gilles might have on turning this operation into a real challenger? I, I think I think it's going to be. I think it it it's going to take time, but I think it's going to work, and it's going to work really well. And Jill has got so much to offer. Um, he was he was just so pissed at what happened last year at Indy, um, and uh, as you know as well as I do, and everyone, and he's such a good guy. He's so driven. He's such a competitor. Um, and whether it be an F1 or an IndyCar or whatever it might be as a sports car team owner, he's, he's got all the bases covered where he, where he, can, where he can draw on his experience. And Your dog um, agrees too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that, was, that was Teddy Duffy Diffie, he agreed. Um, and I just think that does having a, an awesome team of individuals make an awesome team? No, it doesn't. But that's what they've got right now. At, at Arrow um, McLaren SP, and they need to make it all of those awesome individuals an awesome team. And I think it's going to take some time, but it will happen. I mean, they've got too many good things going for it, and too many good people together for it not to happen and not to work. But it's going to take some time. And I mean, you know, you can talk about Rick Peterson and Sam Schmidt. That's 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 in one department about their desire and their competitiveness and their 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 drive. And then you talk about Arrow. Arrow's not here to spend millions of dollars and just mess around. And then you've got McLaren and, and, and the opportunities between Arrow and McLaren from a B2B, a business to business. And then you've got all of these unbelievable elements to this organization. And once it clicks, I really believe once it clicks, look out. Just close on that team with this note that Geo related how many times have you and I heard, Lee, dating back to, I don't know, our ALMS days, a certain guy by the name of Simon Pagino, whose oh, yeah. career was saved by Gilles after Champ Car folded. Simon was out of a ride. Gilles offered him a seat as his co-driver in the American Le Mans series. And today, Simon will readily, quickly point to Gilles as his mentor, as his guru and Yoda. So we're not just talking the, hey, you kind of saved my career thing. We're talking the how to drive, when to drive, what to think, what not to think. There is a almost spiritual level that Gilles can bring to coaching young drivers, even someone like Simon, who is already phenomenally talented. That is the thing I really look forward to with Aaron McLaren SP in how Pato Award and Oliver Askew uh, could benefit from his presence just strictly on how to be better at their craft. That, that I can't wait to see. Speaking of can't wait to see, and we are blending our sports car passion with IndyCar yet again, Carlin Racing 
We know that Max Chilton will be in. We know that Connor Daly will share that entry with Max for the year. We also know 2018 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Daytona Prototype International Champ Felipe Nazar finally is making his IndyCar debut this weekend. It's only a one-off right now. But let's start with the, the new and shiny member of the IndyCar paddock. Felipe Nazar, what don't fans know about this guy that they should look for this weekend? I have been waiting for this guy to get an IndyCar ever since he prematurely left Formula One. And I really honestly believe that. I, I felt like he uh, didn't get a fair shake at Formula One. Um, I think he is better than how he was represented at Formula One. Um, we get to see Felipe Nazza, um, Marcus Ericsson, uh, chapter two or chapter three or whatever you want to call it because they, uh, they didn't end their time as teammates together in Formula One all that well. Um, so I just, I, I, I'm a big fan of his and I think he's got a lot to offer. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've got into some interesting discussions before when people have said, oh, what do you want about? There are other drivers way faster than him. And I just said, well, okay, that, that might be, but I just think the, I just think the guy is a phenomenal driver. And I think, uh, I remember way back, way back years ago when he was doing, uh, British F3 and uh, Rolex 24 at Daytona winner, former F3 driver himself, Brazilian star Oz, Waldo Negri Jr. He said, Diff, watch this kid. He is one of the best I've seen. And lo and behold, he ended up in Formula One. And I really feel that his time in F1 was cut short. Um, I thought he did some pretty decent things there. Um, and I hope this leads to more. I hope this leads to something else. So, it, well, more, more IndyCar races, I should say. So, um, yeah, I would say watch this space. This guy can do some pretty magical things. He's super fast. Um, he's already done great in sports car, but to me, he's an open-wheel driver. And uh, I'm, I'm pumped to see him on track this weekend. And you know what? I hope, I hope that he brings Carlin and, and Max Chilton as well, but I hope he brings Carlin a great result. Absolutely. So we know Connor Daly, quick like a bunny on ovals. He did that with Carlin last year, delivered their best result of the year, actually uh, stepping into Max Chilton's number 59 Chevy. What do you feel? What do you think? What's your, your diffy spidey sense telling you about Max Chilton's season ahead? Can we, should we expect more coming out of a season where, boy, he was dissatisfied might have been among his worst years of his career. Do you think that was an aberration? Do you think that there's another gear he can pull in 2020? I hope he can. Hopefully that testing pace gave him a little bit of a prod. Um, you know, he's... Um, I, think he's a, I think he's a better driver than the results have shown. Um, and, and uh, you know, he... Um, it's no secret that he, he comes from a, um, a, a, a pretty well-heeled family. Um, but, you know, he doesn't have to be out there if he doesn't want to be out there. He wants to be out there. And when you have raced as long as he has, comes from a racing family, his, his brother has been very successful as well in the UK, 
um, I, I just I, I think there's there's more to come from him. I think there's more positive results to come from him. I actually think on a greater scale from the team, I think there's more to come because Trevor Carlin's not here just to hang around, right? When 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 you've built a team that has the reputation and the history and the heritage of Carlin, you're not here just to make up the numbers. And and I just think that now two two full seasons in, uh, and Trevor has has faced more than his fair share of hard times in those two seasons. Um, I think uh, with that positive test, I think. Um, now knowing the IndyCar ropes per se, and you think about how many open wheel, different open wheel championships that Trevor Carlin has had his organisation entered in and been successful in, I think uh, that uh, we could see some pretty good things from Carlin this year. I'm with you. I think the the greatest year to year change within Carlin is not going to be really so much on the driver, mild driver changes, but the work that I understand that has gone on behind the scenes, the R&D efforts, just smart people, dedicated people, engineering galore, that is where we're going to see this, I expect, an uptick for them across the board. Let's move to Dale Coyne Racing. Bit of a interesting change here. Alex Palou, a kid no one has heard of, no one's known of here in the U.S. Team Go! Another bit of a unfamiliar name coming with Alex, partnering with Dale Coyne. And the other entry, big year-to-year change. The uh, the ha- the French fry to my hamburger, Sebastian Bourdais, no longer a part of that program, obviously, as we discussed. But in his place, in his car, in his colors, Santino Ferrucci, who, I, I mean, look, he made Dale Earnhardt Jr., a fanboy last year with his oval performances. Boy, just as Aero McLaren SP has gone young, Lee, we have a super youth movement at Dale Coyne Racing with one driver who's doing everything new for the first time in Alex Pelu from Spain. Santino now with one year of experience, team leader in IndyCar of an entire IndyCar organization at Dale Coyne there. Where where is a fair place to put our expectations for these two young lads? Pretty interesting when you think about the combined age of those two drivers are the same age as uh, Takuma Sato. <laughs> Be sure to tell Takuma that. He'll appreciate it. I won't. I won't. But you know what? In, in, in Takuma's defense, he didn't start driving till he was about 20. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I think he's amazing. Uh, this is going to be, here's my prediction. This is going to be a very, very, very interesting uh, uh, season with this organization because uh, as a rookie, uh, you're afforded certain mulligans and Santino got that last year. You know, he amazed uh, on the ovals, in particular at the Indy 500, uh, where Dale Earnhardt Jr. became a massive fan, as you mentioned. Um, and on some road courses where I thought he would do more, he didn't. Uh, but he had, he had an amazing run. He, he had, there was, there was, uh, it got, I think it got all the way to Portland. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it got all the way to Portland where he had finished every single lap of the race better than anybody else in the field. Um, so that was a huge accomplishment as a rookie. Uh, an amazing accomplishment. 
So, but this year, he doesn't get the mulligans. Like, oh, yeah, you can forgive him for that because he's a rookie. So now the pressure's on because he, he did have this very good rookie year, but now he steps into this familiar car, the, the Seal Master 18, you know, the, the car that was filled by the guy he called Dad, and there was this warm and fuzzy, cozy relationship where, you know, he was, he was um, back in his home country from the, you know, all of the uh, controversy from Europe, and he was afforded uh, a settling period and, uh, everything kind of, not everything, but it was a very positive year for Santino Ferrucci. And um, he's buzzed. I've spoken to him this week. He's buzzed about the season ahead. He's really looking forward to it. But I think this is where stuff gets real. Now, it's going to really get real if this kid, as you say, who nobody knows, who's come out of the uh, Super Formula Series in Japan, which is no joke, this kid comes out and either gives him a hurry up or starts beating him. Then you're going to see a pretty interesting dynamic because these kids are, are kids, they're young, young men at 21 and 22 years of age. Uh, this is going to be highly interesting, I think. And at that age, as you well know, it is a massive competition about who is faster. And it, it, it's, this is even before it gets to the race. It's who's better in practice, who's better in qualifying before the green flag even drops. So. I'm in, I am massively intrigued as to how this dynamic is going to unfold throughout the course of the year. You and I are in lockstep on that, brother. This, I am, it's, it's a, well, for those of us old enough to remember actual records, this is the B side, right? This is the cool kind of cult track for folks to follow. As you mentioned perfectly, Santino got that mulligan last year. We didn't know what to expect. We knew that he'd been quick in some things that he'd done. He had an F1 affiliation with Haas. But he's got a four-time champ as his veteran teammate, existing team leader. Anything Santino did that was positive was going to be great. Any negative was just going to be erased and forgotten. This year, as you mentioned, not only does he not get that mulligan, but his new teammate, who's coming from an even more abstract route, boy, he gets a bigger mulligan, <laughs> right? So exactly. the thing that fast, that's going to fascinate me is this. How much has Santino Ferrucci improved and grown in terms of maturity? We saw him leave Europe in his European, his Formula One dreams, as a result of not handling pressure well. Last year, anything he did well against, air quote, dad, Sebastian Bourdais, cheered for, we celebrated him hard. What happens if the kid who gets nothing but mulligans starts out running him, which I think we're going to see from time to time for sure. How does the new team leader deal with pressure like he has never seen before in IndyCar. And if things do not go his way exactly, if Palou does emerge as the faster of the two, how does Santino respond? So just strictly on a human level, forget the athletic side, on a human level, boy, there's some some time on the good old psychotherapy couch that might be needed here, ASAP, depending on what plays out at Dale Coyne Racing. Let's take a look, Lee, as we start to uh, get towards the, the latter half of the grid. 
We know we're not going to have them full-time, unfortunately. But Dragon Speed, Ben Hanley's been nominated for round one. Team owner Elton Julian says they're going to do about six races or so. Do folks properly understand the rolling party that is Elton Julian and how much fun and flavor (laughs) he brings to the series, plus Ben Hanley, the most obscure driver of all, who, boy, did he set folks expectations in a totally different direction last year tell us about dragon speed i really like this team because i think for so many years uh, in the sports car uh, genre we used to we used to call mike shank racing which is now maya shank racing but back in the mike shank racing days we used to call um msr the little team that could and uh i think sometimes that drove mike crazy but anyway um <laughs> they, they were and to me, Dragon Speed is that new little team that could. And, you know, it's not like they're undertaking little things. You know, they've been racing uh, on a global scale, racing in Europe and then, and then doing whatever they can here and then got to the Indy 500. And I, um, I, I like what they represent. They, they do a lot with a little. And um, I think Hanley is he's kind of a no joke kind of a guy doesn't doesn't mess around he's not the youngest guy in the field either he's in his early 30s so it's not like he's this fresh-faced uh, 21 year old but um he's a good driver he's very very skilled very talented and i just like the way i just like the way that this team goes about it and uh they did everything they said they were going to do last year um trying to grow the program uh, again this year both on the sports car and indycar uh front and um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of almost um, find myself as a fan in in this situation where I just I just like watching what they can do. Had a great start to the year at the Rolex Twenty Four, and uh, and and um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the best way I can sum these guys up. I like watching what whatever they do, and the, the Marshall where they started last year at St Pete to where they got to like at, at, at the Indy 500 was that like the improvements were monumental and they, they admitted they, they, they knew they had to take baby steps to begin with. And when they took delivery of the car, it was quite late and blah, blah, blah. And just how they improved in terms of time on the track. And then just procedurally was fantastic. The pro tip for folks to look for this year, it's not going to be result in a huge change in performance for them. But they acquired Vince Kramer from the Harding Steinbrenner racing team. Vince, as a team manager, you speak with those who have worked with Vince, and Vince has been a part of many significant IndyCar teams throughout the years. They refer to Vince as one of the best guys they've ever worked with. So knowing that Dragon Speed, looking to just get better at everything, knowing that they won their class, they all have brand-new Rolex watches, having won the LMP2 category <laughs> at the Rolex 24 here in January, knowing that they have Vince Kramer stepping right over from having helped Hard, uh, Harding Steinbrenner Racing do such impressive things. Vince is someone who I think, again, he's not the one engineering the car, but just as an overall operation, we are going to see more from them, and Vince is certainly going to be uh, a big contributor to that. Speaking of happy returns and more, man, I, I was there for the final road course, road and street course race of Dryer and Reinbold's career. 
That being Brazil 2013 with Oriol Servia. We got him back outside of 8500, Diff. I'm so happy. Sage Carum, this beautiful Wix-sponsored car rolling out with our pals at DRR. We're not going to get to see him a ton. Again, another kind of limited part-time program. Where do you think they might fit on a, I think, maybe having to learn even more than a Dragon Speed-type growth arc this year? I tell you what, looking at the looking at the images of that car, I think that's I think it's one of the nicest looking cars on the grid. That's, that's a very very cool looking car. I think um, I think if they just take a measured approach, I think it's really important for Sage too uh, for the amount of events that they're going to do. It's kind of like a uh, one step at a time. I just hearing you mention the team and and his name just took me back immediately to the Indy 500 last year and what that young American did from the early runs uh, trying to qualify that car and just trying to get that car up to speed where he just looked spooked he looked he looked more than flustered he just looked like he wanted to go home to just grabbing that car by the scruff of the neck and doing what he did, I thought was remarkable. Um, I would like to see him uh, and the team, but I would like to see Sage get back to where he could possibly get back to um, after the Pocono-Justin Wilson incident, uh, which took a massive toll on him personally and his life and his career. Um, Because... That prior to that, that kid was uh, was he cocky? Sure. Uh, was he maybe too cocky? Probably. But was he flashy and spectacular in the car? Yeah. Some of his peers said he might have been bordering on a little bit dangerous and, and unpredictable. But he was a spectacular IndyCar driver, and I would like to see him get some races under his belt that uh, that reinstill. Um, kind of those same levels of confidence prior to pocono 2015 i referred to the kid as pennsylvanian paul tracy yeah the things that made pt a beloved and a behated (laughs) driver during his career but good lord you knew fireworks were coming when pt was on track Sage had that same sensibility, that same ab- ability to deliver on those things, and I'm with you. Boy, if we could get Sage back to that, Ed Carpenter probably doesn't want to see him back to that. I know he was a little bit grumpy with Sage back yeah. in his rookie yeah. year. But regardless, yeah. do we want more personalities like Sage, an Indy Lights champion who can go very quickly behind the wheel uh, of an Indy car, but also someone who can give us some extra storyline some fun stuff to follow yeah i'm with you plus dennis reinbold i mean come on if we're just talking lee quality members of the paddock big heart big connection long long family history and connection to indycar and the indy 500 yeah this if your heartstrings aren't being plucked by drr coming back at least in a part-time program for the first time in many years well, you ain't got a heart at all. All right, speaking of heart, 
Heartbeat of America, Ed Carpenter Racing, where they got the U.S. Air Force, Chevy Engines, Connor Daly, Ed Carpenter. That's going to be a rather magical composition in the number 20 entry this year. What are the things you believe, Lee, will be needed for the car that was shared last year between Ed Carpenter and Ed Jones? What are the things you think might need to have changed during the offseason for them to have a more realistic chance of getting into victory lane? That's a great question. And I just think uh, I, I always like to go for the, for the, for the personal side, like, you know, people over parts, uh, so to speak. And I just think the fact that Connor Daly now knows that he has a full, a full season, you know, between ECR and, and Carlin, I just think that Connor's uh, self-confidence and just outlook and there's, there's some bankability and security and, and um, you know, there's, there's, there's love for him in the IndyCar paddock and, and, you know, everything that he did last year around his Indy 500 campaign, in particular, I think that was the hub that was the hub of everything that, that really got everything going for Connor last year. I think when you uh, are able to uh, align yourself with a stable organization like Ed's, and you know, and I keep using that word stable and stability and, and, and bankability, I think that's going to bring them, and Connor in particular, um, some really promising results. So I think... Um, uh, I think that maybe with Ed, with Ed last year, he was, he was still, um, with Ed Jones, that is, I think that he was still a little bit frustrated and hurt and wounded, uh, with what went down with Ganassi, that he was still always trying to prove a point. Um, whereas I think with Connor, he's not trying to prove a point. He's just going to be thrilled that he's got a, a full time, a full season ahead and you know when you look at what he did at the 500 in particular last year uh, I thought that was a mighty drive although it didn't yield the ultimate result that he wanted I thought the way that he conducted himself through the month of May was everything that set up 2020 so um, I I think that this could be a very exciting season for Connor Daly and perhaps the season that you me the whole IndyCar paddock has been waiting to see from Connor Daly. Those are my cat. Now you got your dog. I got my cat, Rosie meowing in the background. So it's a normal day in the Marshall pro podcast <laughs> brought to you by Cooper tires and the justice brothers. So there's this kid. He's from Holland and he's fast and he has a name that I think should click with people in Renus VK didn't win the Indy lights championship. But I tell you, I think he's going to win people over as being not someone that stood out as much as Oliver Askew, our reigning Indy Lights champion. But give me some thoughts about this kid that Ari Leyendijk loves and I love and I think is going to be really a, a bigger presence in the rookie crop than most people might anticipate in terms of output and potential. And look, I'm, I am uh, more than happy to say 
uh, I am very much looking forward to getting to know this kid. I I don't know enough about him. And I'm looking forward to learning his driving style and seeing how he handles being in the big class. And um, you don't finish where he did last year in the lights championship without having an enormous amount of ability. But it's, it's as we know, mate, it's totally different when you step up to the big game. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, um, to getting to know him personally and getting to know his style and, and, and seeing what he brings I, I think I think Marshall, we have we are in not only this uh, continuum of the upswing of IndyCar. This started, in my opinion, this started when we got rid of the manufacturer aero kits and the cars look got back to looking like race cars. We started going back to tracks that had historically been on the IndyCar calendar and. Uh, selfishly, uh, you know, last year when we consolidated the, the NBC one broadcaster for the whole year, I think over about the last three to four years, there has been this upswing in the IndyCar series. And then now we're talking about, you know, kids like Palou and VK and Askew and O'Ward and Herder. And, you know, it might not sit so well with people that we are getting ready to say farewell to, to drivers like, Castro Neves and Canaan and Bourdais and etc. But you know what? At the same time, it's an exciting transition. It's an exciting changing of the guard. Changing of the guard hasn't happened just yet, but but you know, let's see what VK can do. And for sure, he's going to be motivated by seeing what guys like Colton Herder and and Pato Award have already done in IndyCar. So if they can mix it with the big guys, maybe I can too. And I'm with a good team and. Etc. So I think this is a very exciting time. I'm going to look forward to Ed Carpenter Racing, hopefully getting closer to the form they had in their last season with Joseph Newgarden, also a graduate of Jeremy Shaw's Team USA Scholarship, yeah. our defending Indy, I'm sorry, defending IndyCar Series champion. Engineering's the side. Engineering is the one thing, Lee, that. Uh, hopefully Ed Carpenter Racing has just made a slight step up in that regard. Not with people. they got great people. That's not the question. Just sometimes teams don't necessarily hit the right path in their R&D approach, the things that they are going after trying to make themselves successful. Uh, and so sometimes you get lost a little bit, and lost could be a tenth of a second, but that tenth could be the thing that knocks you out of the Firestone Fast 6, Fast 12, etc., hoping to see ECR with a little bit more on the engineering side. And if that's the case, woo, Renus, Connor, Ed, yeah, that's going to be a, a butt-kicking year for them. Three teams to go, my friend. Meyer. Hey, I just learned, you know why, you know, you know why else it's going to be a good year for, for Ed Carpenter? I just learned that we had the same birthdays. We're both March 3, 3-3. Three, three. Oh, he's screwed. That? He's, he's done. No wonder. <laughs> now we know the reason. Uh, everything I just said is wrong. It's nothing to do with engineering. Oh, man. You could, the least you could do is change your birth date. Come on. Uh, Our pals at Meyershank Racing, Jim Meyer, CEO of Sirius XM, Michael Shank, CEO of Just Awesome, right? As a person, as yes, just a yes. spirit, as a racer, a guy you not only want to have a beer with, 
but who invites fans to come have a beer with him at the track. And then they have little Mr. Sparkly Eyes himself, Jack Harvey. They have a really awesome opportunity here, Diff, with this alliance with Andretti Autosport to make their presence felt in ways like never before. Now in their first full-time season, right? It's a big jump up for them. And here's another little factoid that folks should pay attention to. As a part of this Andretti Autosport alliance and having all the go-fast bits on the car like Connor, I'm sorry, like Colton Herta had last year with Harding-Steinbrenner Racing, Jack's going to be working with a race engineer from Andretti by the name of Andy Listis, who is regarded among racing. Craig Hampson looks at him and says, that's a star of the future in engineering. Give us give us the diffy view on what could be ahead for our truly beloved friends at Meyershank Racing and Jack Harvey. So Jack Harvey has been bursting for this opportunity for, for several years now. So the most important thing you said was first full season for Meyershank in the NTT IndyCar Series. That's massive. Absolutely massive. So uh, that's number one. Number two, Jack is fitter than he's ever been. You know, coming into last season, he lost 25 pounds. He's continued on this on him. this road to 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 incredible uh, physical fitness levels. He's just bursting to to get in this car. So that's that's number two. Number three, you won't find anybody more, more determined than Mike Shank to make things happen as far as his organization is concerned. And the one of the greatest that he says, one of the greatest things that ever happened to him was meeting with lifetime IndyCar fan and Indiana native Jim Meyer, who just so happens to be, as you mentioned, the CEO of Sirius XM. When you've got somebody in the business world that powerful who happens to, who happens to still live part-time in Indiana, splits his time between New York City and Indiana, um, that passionate about IndyCar, and all you got to do is go down there. He's always in the pit box wearing the pink shirt, um, you know, the, um, the Auto Nation shirt and Sirius XM shirt. And Jim's just, Jim's just, you know, beaming in the pit box all the time. So, you know, nothing beats enthusiasm. Enthusiasm always wins out. And in that team, it comes in abundance with passion and enthusiasm and drive. And so now the table's set. They're here. They're here for the whole year. It's not like, oh, I'm here, we're gone, we're here, we're gone, we're here, we're gone. And so um, this, you know, as I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, this once upon a time little team that could is now engaged in two full-time programs in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship, Sports Car Championship, and the NTT IndyCar Series. I mean, Mike Shank's dreams have all come true. Now, after seeing uh, Jack Harvey get a podium last year, at, at the uh, Grand Prix of Indianapolis, which was an amazing drive. By the way, after after reminding myself of what he did last year while watching the, the race last year, he had an awesome drive at St. Petersburg last year. He was in the top six for the majority of the race, ended yep. up finishing 10th. So I just think, I think the sky's the limit for this team. I think, um, I think they don't have to worry about anything. They've got the technical alliance. They, the, the proof's in the pudding. They know what that did for Colton Herter, as you mentioned last year, and Harding Steinbrenner. They've got the finances sorted. They've got their personnel. And let's go. Let's drop the green. I, I, I think this could be huge. We're going to jump to a team that I would say of all the IndyCar teams coming into this season, 
bit of a, a strange dynamic to consider. That being Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing. We know that commercially, they are just among the top in finding great partners, many partners to support the efforts of Graham Rahal and Takuma Sato. We know that they're stacked with talent on the timing stands, pit crew, mechanics, etc. We know that Takuma Sato got into victory lane twice last year. We also know that Graham Rahal is bristling with frustration at not having last season, even maybe the year before, go quite the way that he wanted. I don't know if you share my view here, Lee, but I look at this team with the number 15 Honda of Graham Rahal in the number 30 Honda of Takuma Sato being almost two different stories coming into the season. One being someone that if Takuma's on the pole, this weekend at St. Pete and wins, we wouldn't be surprised. Graham, I, 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 we know he can do those things, but it's been a while. Where do you think the, the mindset might be for them with two drivers, frankly, having had two very different outcomes the last couple of years? Well, I, I spent some time with both the drivers uh, in the last couple of weeks, and um, you can you can tell that it's that it's annoying Graham that it's been a couple of years more than a couple of years now since he's won. So um, there's no question about the drive. I have to say, uh, seeing him in person um, at the at their partner summit, uh, he looked. I'd have to say Graham looked probably uh, the fittest that I've seen him in, in some time. Um, so that that. Motivation is there. Um, they've got, as you said, they've got it on the timing stand. They've got they've got the engineering support. They've got all the pieces of the puzzle together. Now it's just time to put it together. I don't really think there's anything more to say than that. And I think if we had Graham on the line, um, uh, he would probably say the same thing. For Takuma, I think you can just uh, expect kind of more of the same. He's a little bit. Um, enigmatic. He's a little bit hot and cold, like he's. But last year was phenomenal. I mean, he wasn't that far off winning the Indy 500 for the second time, right? He was hot, hot and third there, coming coming to the to the flag, um, and then those two race wins. So I think uh, I think he could probably expect some more of the same. And and where was that race that he came flying into the pits and took out his teammate in the pits, uh, team uh, crew crewman in the pits? That was Texas. I think was it Texas? He led. Yeah. He led like the first sixty laps or something. It was crazy. He was doing really well. So, I mean, I don't expect Takuma to be any different as far as you know being there, being fast again. And for Graham, I think it's just going to take one good result just to kind of to spark things again. And um, I'm sure, like I said, after spending quite a bit of time with him recently, I think I think if he was on the line with you and I, he would say the same thing. It's just got to. Just got to get it, get it going again. I mean, he had an amazing run of top tens last year, but you know, as we know, top tens aren't going to get it done. You got to, you got to get on the box, and you got to get. He had one podium last year. You know, you've got to, you got to get a win. You got to, you got to be on the podium more than that. So, I think for the, for the, for the entire organisation, everything that they've got going on the sports car side and the IndyCar side of things, and it's, it really is a blue chip organisation. 
the blue chip organisation needs to see more victories from Graham's side of of the team, and and uh, he would say it as well as we are. Last quick note here on RLL: Takuma won two races last year, right? That's as many as Alexander Rossi, Scott Dixon, and so on finished ninth in the championship. Graham winless. Only a single podium finished directly behind Takuma in 10th. The the takeaway here, I would say, as we think about the 2020 season ahead and where improvements are needed, it's not just getting in the win column. We know, again, Graham has the talent. That can happen at any time. The thing where there's a bit of a need is fourths, fourths thirds, fourths, those were the best days. The most common days, which is good, uh, there were, what, uh, about seven additional top tens? Let's see. Your dog agrees again. Loves where I'm going with this. There were just too many days for Graham of a ninth or a seventh or an eighth or a ninth where you're in the top half of the field. That is great. But we know that he can do better. The team can do better in too many of those there, thereabouts, but not all the way there. That's the area to improve, to convert some of these eighths and ninths to fifths and sixths. All of a sudden we're talking about Graham Rahal being in the top five, top six in the championship with a mathematical chance of taking home his first at the end of the year. And, and that's what he did. Uh, Time escapes me. Uh, it's probably three years ago yeah, now. Yep. Do you remember when he was? We went to Sonoma, and there were one of uh, four four drivers who could win. Himself, Scott Dixon, I think Montoya. Uh, can't remember the other driver, but that's what Graham did that year to put himself in the mix, and he was there in in with a shot of winning the championship. He's an amazingly gifted and consistent driver. But the consistency needs to just fish, uh, finish and push further up the scale, right, towards the front. So um, nobody's harder on nobody is harder on Graham Rahal than Graham Rahal. Isn't that the truth? So um, you know, uh, let let's see. Let, let's see what can happen. Hugs for Graham. If he's having a bad day, friends, just give him a hug. Well, actually, wait till the coronavirus has passed. But then give him a hug. Uh, we're going to keep him in a happy place. <laughs> Speaking of happy places, let's close with, oh boy, the uh, if we're drawing parallels between IndyCar teams and Star Wars, the Death Star, known as Team Penske. Good Lord, <laughs> if they, they won half the races last year, you know, uh, I mean, if you look at winning nine races and the championship and the Indy 500, and you look at how things settle up at the end of the year and realize that we are a three-car team, and we just finished first, second, and fifth in the standings. You can't argue a whole, whole lot about that. I'm not sure what to pose about this team other than the future Right? We know Joseph Newgarden's going nowhere. Roger's never going to let him go, nor should he. We believe our pal Will Power um, might have another year in his contract. 
Not totally sure in Simon Pagano yet uh, whether his contract is up at the end of the year or if uh, that's been extended some. But we do know that Power is getting, you know, in the twilight of his career. We heard a lot last summer that the Aero McLaren SP folks sure would love to have Simon Pagano back. Curious what your thoughts are for this team, not just repeating, but also some of their drivers and what the future might hold based on how 2020 goes. So I like I like the way that this team operates from the fact that success is rewarded. You know, it was only two years ago we were saying power's on the ropes, he's gone, he's out, and he wins the Indy 500, and he stays. It was only a year ago that the rumor mill was in full grind and at full speed about Simon hasn't delivered what Roger wanted. He's on the ropes. He's on his way out. Boom. Dominates the month of May. Gets three wins last year. He's safe for this year. So it is very clear the way that the captain operates and Tim Sendrick and that success is rewarded. But I just think this... um, it's, it's a fascinating organisation to observe and to study and to how things work. And with that being said, how is the champ, who is, I think, a phenomenal ambassador for the sport of IndyCar racing, that is Joseph Newgarden, how is the champ going to respond this year to, you know, after living with the uh, Defender 1, he wasn't able to defend the 1, but now he has a year on, he's, he's, he's got his second title but there's that 500 that's just hanging out there, you know, like it like it did for, for Will and for Simon. I haven't won it yet. I need to win it yet. I want to be part of that special Penske family that, that adds. I want to give Roger the 19th victory. So you know that that's going to be a driving force for Joseph. He's settled in his personal life, moved back to Tennessee, married, and, um, you know, looks as fit as ever, is as driven as ever, ready to go as ever. Um, so it's, it's fascinating because nothing else except for excellence and success is expected from this team, but what happens when it doesn't happen and how do they respond, uh, with some form and shape of adversity, I think is the, is the space to watch. And I can't even imagine uh, what it's like to exist within that kind of a space where it's just, you know, um, per- perfection is what's expected and anything less isn't. But uh, it, it's I find it fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And so, you know, we know what to expect from all three of the drivers. I think the variable will be Scott McLaughlin when he comes in to do the Grand Prix of Indianapolis because if you want to talk about excellence, this, this young fellow who I know very well um, is... A what's Scott now? Scott's about twenty five or twenty six. He's got a fifty year old head on a twenty six year old body. This kid is amazing, and um, I got to spend a little bit of time. I I spend I, I spend time with him when he comes to New York City because his wife is from Long Island, and I don't live that far outside of New York City. And so I've had some personal time with Scott to get to know him. He was too young. I'd left Australia, and you know I didn't ever commentate on him racing down there, and. But we've got to know each other personally, and this, and then watch him. I've you know watched him in supercars, and then now with this this opportunity here, he is a really smart young man, and obviously incredibly talented behind the wheel. So for him to now come in and then 
that throws like a an, another you know variable into the mix. Um, so I yeah I don't have anything other to say other than <laughs> watch this space. Fascinating. You know it's going to be awesome, and it's and it's um, it's IndyCar racing at the high, highest level when you talk about Team Penske. Let's hit one or two other topics on Penske before we close, Lee. So if we step away, I'm not a reporter. You're not a broadcaster. We're just two guys that love IndyCar. Also two guys that love us. Some crazy willpower. Knowing that 40 is is almost here for him age-wise. This might not be a preview so much as just a, a... personal opinion but we know he's not going to have an infinite number of shots at going for a second title i would love almost nothing more this weekend and the season that follows to see we'll get off to a strong start eliminate some of the odd wavering that happens from time to time or the a mistake or a crash or a mechanical failure like took him out of what appeared to be a surefire win last year at Circuit of the Americas. I mean, finishing fifth in the championship last year, not the worst thing in the world, but there's only so many more of these he's going to get to do in terms of full season. You share my my independent, just fan view of, boy, wouldn't it be great to see our boy DJ Willie P truly in that mix as we get down to Portland and Laguna Seca for the season finale, you know that, you know what? He could be more than a one-time champion, which is the thing we often use as a bit of a, a bar of, of measure where you fit in the all-time perspective for yeah, the car I'm, greats. I mean, yeah, for sure, because um, what, what I, what I in, enjoy to watch, even though I'm at work, what I enjoy to watch or, or listen to or discuss <clears throat> is with, one of my colleagues, and that is is Paul Tracy. Paul's pretty hard to please, and when you see Will down and and needing a good result, and then he gets a win like he did last year, and then it, you watch Paul's face light up and just say with absolute respect and admiration, uh, and just say, "Yeah, well, the others better watch out because this guy could now string about three or four wins together on the on the on the go." And and to be a driver like that who commands that kind of respect from a, another champion, or and it's not just Paul who says that; other people say that because Will's one of those drivers who, long after he has left this sport, people will still talk about, and, it, and it's got nothing to do with the records, about the amount of poles or the amount of wins or, or whatever. It's got nothing to do with that because at the end of the day, when a driver or an engineer or a team owner leaves the track or a fan leaves the track, they want to know who's fast. And willpower is synonymous with fast. Brutal speed. Enough to enough to get his peers just to know uh, and just say, well, oh, God, at this track, power's the one to beat. You know, just that blinding speed that, well, where did he get that lap from? So um, I think if Will can... Uh, um, kind of soften out a few of those peaks and valleys like you alluded to, uh, which happened last year. Well, it's not just happened last year. It, it's happened maybe more often than he would like. I mean, my goodness, the sky's the limit for him, right? I mean, he can just, yeah, oval, street courses, road courses, whatever. He can do it wherever. 
And so I don't, it would be no surprise to me to see him win a second championship. Not, not a surprise at all. Just like Dixon, when he retires, should be a two or three time Indy 500 winner. We don't know if that will happen, but we know based on talent and effort that those are things that he should have. I'd say the same about our boy, Will, when he retires, I hope we can talk about him as a two or three time champ because uh, that is the kind of caliber of driver he has been. This Pagano guy, as you mentioned, really used a springboard last May at Indianapolis, winning both races, GP and the 500, and uh, doing more good work. Really turned his year around, I think turned his career around a bit aforementioned questions about his longevity with Penske that you mentioned, Lee. Do you think he can maintain? Do you think our boy Pagano can hold on to that, as you said earlier, that magic sauce that made him just so, so hard to deal with last year? Is that something that can dissipate during a six-month offseason? Do you think he might be able to tap back into that as one of IndyCar's probably biggest thinkers? I think he can. I think he can, and and I and I um, I often regroup and recenter on the words of a, a dear friend of mine who lives about five miles up the road here, uh, where I live in the northeast of the U.S. Duncan Dayton, who was one of his former team owners in in um, in sports car racing, and he and he said it's as simple as this, Diff. I hired Simon Pagano not because he was a great driver and not because he was passionate, because he's smart. And he listens, and he learns, and he executes, and he remembers, and and so uh, that's why I think Simon uh, can do that to answer your question. He can uh, find that again, uh, reproduce that again, and um, whether he has whether he continues his career for a long time at Team Penske or he goes off to Aaron McLaren SP or wherever he goes, Simon, we're going to be talking about Simon Pagano for a long time to come because he is. Um, he's an incredible driver. He's good in and, in and out of the car, amazing personality, and has created just uh, a, an amazing life and career for himself here in the United States. So, um, yeah, I, I think to answer your question in short, he can find that again. He will find that again, and I think we're going to be talking about him a lot again. Last item on Team Penske, mate, and then after that we will uh, pose a question as to who we think as fans might be our champion at the end of the year last item on penske i'd love to get your thoughts on and this comes back to scotty mclaughlin quick like a bunny at spring training impressive again in his first ever appearance on an oval in testing at texas a few days later we know he's going to do the indy gp that's confirmed uh, i've written and reported he's expected or i shouldn't say expected has up to eight races he could do in a part-time capacity for the team this year. couple of assumptions. If he's as quick, as formidable as we've seen him so far, do you think that might have a little bit of Colton Herta effect on some of the established stars at Andretti Autosport? That kind of dynamic of a McLaughlin coming into Penske with a trio, Newgarden, Pagano, Power, well-oiled machine, do you think Scotty coming in 
potentially being a guy that might fill one of their seats. We're going to take certainly take Newgarden off that list, but do you think if he shows up is as fast as he demonstrated at Coda, do you think that might be an unsettling thing for some of Roger Penske's championship contenders? Of course, 100%. 100%. They're always they they know, they know that uh, they being the the team drivers know that they have to perform to keep their ride and keep their contract and and keep their seat. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's the same in any in any sport or any in any discipline of of the sport we love, motorsport. Um, if somebody comes along that's quicker and faster and shinier, newer, of course they're going to you know garner the attention and and uh, create something. And and it's no secret that um, again because of his personal relationship with his wife. Um, you know, Scott has had a massive desire to be here in North America, uh, whether that be on the NASCAR side or the IndyCar side. And so it's just turned out um, that the IndyCar side has opened up sooner. Um, uh, these aren't my words. These are Roger's words and Tim's words, Tim Sindrick's words. They learnt uh, a big lesson from Sam Hornish Jr. You know, they basically throwing him straight into NASCAR Cup. And uh, they told me that if they were con- even considering... Do, putting Scott in in NASCAR that they would not do that again because it's not fair on the team, it's not fair on the sponsors or partners, it's not it's not fair on the driver, and so he would have to take his time to go up through the ranks, kind of a la Marcus Ambrose, so to speak. Um, and so they've learnt they have learnt uh, from that. And again, they're not my words; they're they're the captain and Tim's words. And so, obviously, the IndyCar opportunity has has come about uh, ahead of that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that what he's what he's done already he's he's got he's he has got so much attention already from what he's done that um, I, I think it would put some additional pressure on it. Now, before you say that's our last question, we didn't we didn't go to Ganassi. We didn't address Ganassi. Jeez, and I. Vaguely pretend I'm a professional. I mentioned Scott Dixon, <laughs> and then I kind of wondered. It did occur to me, like, yeah, it seems like I mentioned his name for the first time. Oh man! And see, that's why I call my friends who are actually good at their job. Uh, so, what I was going to say when I did read their name on the screen in front of me and forgot to mention them was, I don't think there's much to talk about in terms of will they be a contender i think that's absolutely going to be the case but will some of the changes and influences have a positive impact or possibly extend the timeline to there being a front-running effort in the championship frame that being scott dixon has a new racing engineer and michael cannon one of my oldest friends Marcus Erickson has joined the team. Brad Goldberg, amazing race engineer, the man who helped Charlie Kimball win his one and only IndyCar race at Mid-Ohio in 2013. Brad has been over in sports cars, engineering the Ford GT effort with Chip Ganassi. He's coming back, but again, hasn't been in the IndyCar engineering rotation as often as he would want. There are some things they've done structurally Lee, that are meant to make them more competitive get back to winning championships again plus there's this pint-sized swede named felix rosenquist who i think is in store for a couple of wins this year as a sophomore 
do you think some of the the structural changes on the team side and onboarding a new driver in Marcus Erickson might actually be something that takes a while to work through? Or is this team too experienced to let that be a, a road bump to slow them down? No, I think I, I, I don't think it's going to be a road bump. I think they're going to. Um, I think they're just going to launch. I think they'll do really well. Um, you know, I spoke about uh, the you know several of the young drivers having a year to settle into IndyCar, and I think Rosenquist having the year that he had last year, and now we go again, year number two. I think look out. I think Rosenquist is going to be unbelievable this year. Um, super smart guy just soaked up everything that Scott Dixon and Dario Franchi and the team uh, had to offer him and uh, will be, uh, I, I, I think Rosenquist will be a championship contender this year. Um, I love that. Uh, and I think Marcus Erickson learned a lot last year. I thought Marcus's championship result didn't reflect some of the really good drives that he put in. Um, you know, things like, uh, you know, I don't want to say silly little things because they're not little things. They were big things that, that had, had implications. But, you know, coming into pit lane, just a little hot at Indy and, and, and locking up and, you know, a good result evaporating. And, and Marcus, by his own admission, he learned a lot last year but and feels so comfortable. And then I don't really, I don't think there's any words that we need to use to try to try and even describe Scott Dixon. Um, the The changes that have happened within the team. Uh, for sure, he would have been a part of those discussions. And um, uh, he's, Scott is definitely one of those ones where change is not bad, change is good, and changes are made to keep things fresh and try and improve. And uh, so I, I, think, um, I, I think we can expect uh, great things out of the Ganassi organization in its 30, 30th anniversary. I'm so happy I got you here to save me from being a complete idiot and getting a really nasty call from Ganassi. Hey, idiot, what's wrong with you? A lot. You know it, but you accept it. Well, my friend, who do you think you are going to be interviewing the end of the day on Sunday, September 20th at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca? Who do you think you're going to be celebrating at the... Award banquet, who do you think is going to be not only champion of the season, but let's also talk about rookie of the year? I hate these questions. I do but, too, and I'm such a um, jerk yeah, for it's, posing it's it. Interest, it's, it's interesting because it puts you on the spot and it's thought-provoking and it's... Uh, um, I, well, that's, I, I think the rookie of the year one is an easy one. I think it's Palou. Really? And Alex Palou. Wow. And then... Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see him in IndyCar. I mean, you, you know, what he's, what he's done in Super Formula. I mean, those cars are brutally fast. Um, and and to, to do what he did, I think he's going to really enjoy IndyCar. And he will be very effective in IndyCar. And um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Why don't, why, don't we say, uh, why don't we say that this will be Ross's year? He's, he's finally going to do it. Look at you. I mean, so, that'd be great. Um, that'd be great. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm And I'm always I wrong. Know. I mean, as you know, you could pick a, you could pick probably 10, or maybe not 10, but you could certainly pick easily six or seven different people who could be the champion. I mean, it's just so, uh, 
that's the beauty. That's the beauty about IndyCar, right? I mean, uh, you know, what's the record? Eleven different winners in a season. Last year we had seven or something, seven or eight. Last year, I mean, the um, you know, it's just it's. I tell people all the time that's the best thing about going to the track at an NTT IndyCar Series weekend. You don't know who's going to win. You might think you know who's going to win. You might take a guess at who's going to win, but you don't know who's going to win. And that's that's the great thing, you know, because a winner can there can be a bolt from the blue. There can be a a really uh, surprising winner. Nobody, I don't care what anybody says, nobody would have picked Colton Herter at Circuit of the Americas last year, even though he was quickest in three of the four test sessions. When, when it, if, if it took money on the line, nobody would have predicted that, and yet the kid did it, and then he repeated it at, at, at uh, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, and yeah, that's just the best thing about this championship. Well, if you're going bold on your rookie of the year, then dang it, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to go with... Renus VK. I, okay. I love that kid. I really do. I mean, I love all of them. Don't get me wrong. But that kid, there is just a swagger to him. Not swagger in a flashy type way, but just you look at him. You listen to him talk about driving an IndyCar. And you realize that there's something that goes deeper than an athlete trying to succeed in their chosen sport. There is a earthly connection, some sort of spiritual something that happens for Renus while driving an Indy car. The level of fulfillment and joy in being one with that machine, truly, I have not heard a rookie talk in those terms like Renus in I don't know how long. So I'm going to go opposite of what maybe many will do, which is Oliver Askew and go with Renus, knowing that, you know, privately I expect Oliver to win it. But I'm going to go with Renus. As for championship, if we aren't talking to three-time title winner Joseph Newgarden come September, I'll be genuinely surprised. I think that kid, that team, that everything, I think they are on the cusp of a steamrolling performance here. Two titles in three years. Boy, uh, I, I think there's something coming here. Granted, like you, I'd love to see Rossi. I'd love to see everybody win the championship, i got to admit. But uh, I, I'll go with our man, Joe New, as Robin likes to call him, and Rike, which no one calls him, and please don't. You got your two picks, and Rossi and Palou, uh, you got the two Alexes in the field, so good on you. Should we put anything on this? Should we? I mean, red red wine. You know what? I'm going to buy a bunch of racing mugs. That's what I'm going to do. If I lose, <laughs> I'm going to buy a bunch of racing mugs. What is the name of that? There's a website I'm thinking of. Racingmugs.com? I, I saw a thing on... Uh... I saw a thing on Twitter this morning where our old Formula One colleague uh, Jason Swales got the cartoonist to put to put his head in between mine and Hobbo and Matchett and and Buxton. So uh, I don't know if Jason's selling those or anything, but we'll have to find that out. But I don't know. We'll we'll do a dinner on it or something. How about we do that? That sounds like a plan, Diff. You're the best, seriously, brother. Appreciate you for not only the quality of work that you bring to our sport but your passion for it 
you know, I'm not speaking ill of any others, but there are some folks who stand in front of a camera and read words either on a uh, screen or spoken into their ear. You get stuck in and have as deep a passion for this as any fan in the grandstands. And I hope folks can hear that not only in what we do here, but also in NBC sports throughout the year. Thank you, my brother. And I look forward to speaking soon. Thanks, mate. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't uh, just talk about my teammates at NBC Sports. Everybody from uh, from our big boss Sam Flood down is uh, is super jacked about this season. Uh, we take it very seriously, and we're very proud to be the home of the IndyCast uh, series. And now with uh, Roger Penske's group and Penske Entertainment and the leadership of the series, uh, I think we've got a lot to look forward to this year. So. Um, yeah, bring it. Bring the weekend. We can't wait. We'll see you soon. The action has been rocked.